We are joined in studio today by Wab Canoe, the leader of the Manitoba NDP, as we're only a couple months out now from the provincial election. One of the topics we discussed with Canoe is crime. And on the subject of crime, today we spoke to a business owner, the proprietor at Four Crowns Inn, which again was broken into and vandalized this week for something like the 12th time in the last couple of years. And he has had enough Zebra mussels in the Red River, according to some, might not be such a bad thing. And this weekend, if you're in town, get ready for Beer Fest. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's back next week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, August 9th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is back next week. Tyson Rookie and Master Control for producer Jeff Forte. And given that Monday was a holiday, Terry Fox Day, it's a four-day work week, a short work week, which for many is a novelty. But, Greg, it seems like the movement is starting to gain some momentum. And I know there are some people who are dead set against this idea. Because for whatever reason, uh, if you can't have a four-day work week, uh, we don't want others to have a four-day work week. I don't know if that would work for us. Uh, maybe with some juggling, I suppose it could. But obviously, the the five-day work week uh, is in in our future for at least for the foreseeable future until this catches on more broadly. But. I like that idea. I've liked it for anybody that I've known that has had it for years. I know people who have done, you know, three twelves or or four ten hour shifts. Right now, my kids are working mostly part time. They 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 will get the odd eight hour shift, but mostly it's three three and a half four hour shifts. And guess what? It takes just as long for them to get to work and get home, no matter how long the shift is. And they have to wash their clothes and their uniform and get ready, whether they're working three hours or eight hours. And so the idea of not having to do those things five times in a week and just doing them four is attractive to a lot of people. That goes aside of all the other benefits. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about it yesterday, too. I was sitting there in the afternoon trying to wrap my brain around the possible logistics of could it work for our business, not sure that it could, but in businesses where it does work, and we'll hear more at 637 from Global Zan Gaviola. She spoke to a couple of businesses. And if you work in a contained setting where you're not dealing with the public, where it's it's like it's product or it's numbers based, where like you have a quota to fill or whatever, and the work can get done, then who cares? Like if it doesn't affect if, if my friend works in there, one of the companies was a pharmaceutical research company. There. So they're, whether they're open Monday to Friday or Monday to Thursday or whatever days of the week they choose, if their work gets done, great. And if their people are happier, their mental health apparently is better. It's become more efficient because one of the things that I, I, I started laughing when I was watching Global Nationally yesterday because they cited 
Uh, there are a lot of things where it's now uh, it becomes an email instead of a meeting. So sure, it's your a, favorite. Yeah, <laughs> that meeting could have been an email. <laughs> That's a trade Brett will make every single day of the week, month, or year. They give me an email over over a, a meeting anytime. I'm with you, Brett. And you know the other thing that I noticed over the long weekend were a couple of businesses uh, either post long weekend that were traditionally open seven days a week, Mm -hmm. took a couple days off. I also noticed uh, Saturday, Sunday, or was it, I guess it would have been Sunday, Monday, one of my favorite restaurants was closed. Yeah. My butcher shop in my my end of the city, they were closed Sunday and Monday. Normally on a long weekend, they might be lined up out the door. Father's Day, lined up out the door at the butcher shop but they decided to be closed Sunday and Monday. And I thought good for them. Yeah. You know, I wanted to buy something from them and I was disappointed that I couldn't do that. I just went somewhere else. And if they make the decision that they can afford to be closed and give their employees a couple days off straight without having to come to work, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And it was like one of the things with this, uh, this trial is that the, 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 they're working four days instead of five, but there, there's no reduction in salary. If that works for a business, great. If if it's when it's a seven day operation, that probably wouldn't work because if if you're paying person A who normally works five days a week, and then you've got people working two days a week, if you're going to pay that person A the same amount of money for four days, well, what do you do for the other three days? So you're going to have to start paying people more to fill the the gap. So it logistically it doesn't work for everybody. We get that, but. I have no problem endorsing that. Um, and if this business were to somehow adopt it, I don't know that I would complain. Well, I would, the, the question is, which day would you want to have off? <laughs> For me, it would be Monday every time because Fridays are fun. I like Friday because there's an anticipation of the weekend. But if I could pick any day of the week, yeah, it would be Wednesday. Yeah? Yeah. That middle break. Yeah, give me a day off in the middle of the week. I would take that. Yeah, I had one. I had a random one of those. Well, one was because I, I took a went to a Jets playoff game. But there was uh, so I took the day off there. And and thanks again for you and to you and Loren for letting that happen on short notice. But there was one week where I had to take a Wednesday off. I can't remember why. I had to burn a day. I'm like, well, you you had days off and Loren had days off, so I just dropped mine in the middle. And it it yeah, it was kind of nice. You Didn't go to work stink. for two days. You get a break, and then you go for another two days. Good. Good. So feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. And uh, we're going to bring you more details from Global's and Gaviola at 635. And then at 705, Mr. Greg, we are talking zebra mussels and, oh boy, in the Red River? In the Red River. Yeah, they've been in the Red River for about eight years now. June 2015 was when they were first detected on this side of the border in the Red River. We know they're in Lake Winnipeg and other lakes around the province. How devastating has it been? How is it impacting? We have this world-class fishery, not only in northern Manitoba, but of course on Lake Winnipeg, and then right in our own backyard here in the Red River. We'll visit with the rock and roll fisher himself and find out the impact of zebra mussels on uh, the cat fishery in particular uh, north of our city in Lockport, Selkirk area. And then coming up at 8.35, Mr. Greg, we will be joined by Wob Canoe. I guess you could say that uh, with the 
With the window closing on provincial announcements and funding promises uh, taking place last week, we're sort of kicking off the provincial election campaign. Of course, that doesn't really start until about 35 days out. But I would say if you ask anybody who's involved in this election, the posturing, the campaigning is well underway. So we'll visit with, uh, with the leader of the NDP, Wab Canoe, in studio. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is back next week after Global News at 7 o'clock. We'll talk zebra mussels in the Red River. We'll be joined by the rock and roll Fisher. And at 8.35, Wab Canoe joins us in studio, the leader of the provincial NDP. But right now we want to continue a discussion we touched on to open the show. Get your workforce to do the same amount of work or more in a shorter amount of time. That's the idea behind a four-day work week trial that occurred last year with several Canadian companies. Now that the pilot project has ended, all of the Canadian participants are keeping the reduced hours for the same amount of pay. Global's Anne Gaviola has more. Get your workforce to do the same amount of work or more in a shorter amount of time. The equation at first blush didn't make sense to the CEO of Fresh Squeezed Ideas, a pharmaceutical strategy company. We already can't get the work done in in five days. How on earth could we get it done in four days? Um, so I, I was de- definitely tentative and apprehensive on it. The company's first stab at adopting a four-day work week didn't work out so well. But with some tweaks, Freedom Friday gave way to Flexible Friday, and the results better than expected. What happened for our people is actually an improvement in their overall emotional and mental health. They've had more time in, you know, kind of in their personal world to do the things that are passion projects for themselves. And that actually allows them to bring more of themselves into work. 41 companies took part in the four-day workweek trial, which spans six months, including nine Canadian companies, all of which are keeping the four-day structure after the pilot. Hundreds and if not thousands of people connect in with us and, and want uh, some details about how we've done it. Four Day Week Global runs the increasingly popular pilot programs, improving workflows, cutting down on time wasters, like meetings that could have been an email. The result? Less sick calls, increased productivity over fewer days. Proponents call it win-win. Employees don't see a reduction in earnings. Employers have workers who are far more engaged. It's not like this delicious circle of satisfaction that starts to impact. So I'm happier at work, so I'm happier at home. I do other things outside of work and then I'm happier back at work. Another work trend accelerated by the pandemic, which opened people's eyes to what is possible at work and at home. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. So outside of the industries and the workplaces where this is impossible, Brett, have you yet to hear anything negative about this? No, no, I haven't. I don't see any downside. If, if, if we're a, a company that can do it and function without losing productivity or losing money, why not? It just seems like a no-brainer on so many fronts. And, you know, you start adding up the, the little things that you maybe don't think about on the financial side. I stop for my tea every morning at Tim Hortons. It's not that I can't make it here. I totally could and save a couple of bucks a day. But you add that up. There's two, four, six, eight, almost $10 a month 
that would go away if I was working four days a week. I've never calculated what I pay to come to work gasoline wise uh, every day, but I'm going to guess it's two or three bucks every day worth of gas. And then just the whole benefit of not having to wake up that extra fifth day, the benefits seem to be endless in my mind. And the idea of people being even more engaged because you're not bogged down, right? You're, so many of us are just struggling to get to Friday, whatever Friday, the end of your day looks like, just struggling to get there. And I suspect that over time, if the four-day work week became the norm, you might have the same thing happening in the lead up to a weekend that's three days long every weekend. But so far, that doesn't seem to be the case. Otherwise, these companies wouldn't be implementing these programs so enthusiastically. Yeah, the too often the weekend just zooms past, particularly in the summertime. I've already heard people talking in the last couple of weeks, just people in the elevator on their way up to work saying, I can't, you know, I hate, I feel guilty saying this, but I'm already kind of looking forward to the fall so that I can just relax because there's, we want to take advantage of summer, right? It's a finite resource for us and we want to get it, get out and enjoy it while we can. But sometimes that means it's go, 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 go on the weekend. And then you get back to work on Monday and you're exhausted because you overdid it on the weekend. So having that additional day would be cool because even like I, we joked yesterday about needing a long weekend from our long weekend. Right. All I all I did yesterday was sleep. I was like a cat, and uh, when I got home from work, because it was August long, which we only get a handful of those. We only get a couple really good summer long weekends. You're so right. I I took full advantage of it, but in doing so, to get out and enjoy the weather and and do what I love doing, play golf. I. Was up. I got. I didn't sleep much. I was up early every day, and I'm just getting old and I'm weak and I need to go to the gym. So I'm horribly <laughs> out of shape. So even three rounds of golf is enough to put me down. And I needed an extra day to just relax. So in this part of the world, even that ability to spread out some of those summer activities might be a benefit as well. Yeah. When you imagine that, oh well, it's a long weekend. Well, how often do we say? I need a holiday from my vacation, a vacation from my holiday. I was referencing yesterday as the Terry Fox not long enough weekend because even though it was long, I, I still got it done with another day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, what, what's your thought on these? 204-780-6868. These are the four-day work week. What do you think about it? Would you love to do it? Have you been doing it? What have been the benefits? Have there been any downsides? Because I've yet to hear any. And would you do it? Uh, and what what would be some like? Maybe let's toss in another caveat as well, because the pilot project we heard about is they've all, these companies have all gone to the four day week and no reduction in pay. But I would imagine for an operation, let's say like, look, let's say Greg, our business, our, we're seven days a week. Our operation is we work five of those days. If we were to drop down to four, it would probably have to come with a pay cut. It was like an option. If you want to do four days, fine. But we're gonna you're gonna have to cut your. Pay. When it comes to something like this, right? Because yeah. we have certain amount of on, well, twenty four seven on air inventory. Certain people need people to fill those shifts. Yeah, I could see where it would come with a trade off, which is once again why it doesn't work for all industries. Yeah.
It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. We've got a cool story out of eastern Michigan to set up the discussion we're about to begin. Here's a report from ABC. At training camp this week for Eastern Michigan University's football team, Coach Chris Creighton delivered life-changing news. Zach Conti has had to pay his way to school for four years. And in the fall, the guy was selling his plasma to be able to pay the bills. Brian Dooley comes into my office and he said, Coach, that guy has earned it. And if there's a way to make this happen, I am willing to give up my scholarship and to give it to Zach Hunt. Where are you, Dooley? Offensive lineman Brian Dooley walking over to Zach Conti and handing him the papers, officially giving away his scholarship. I've never done something like this before. It made me feel good, but it's not, it's not about me. Zach Conti, a walk-on fellow lineman, spent the last four years paying his own way. The team usually would see me coming back from work or whatever, or going to work, and they would know, what, they would know what's going on. I felt bad for him. You know, putting that kind of work in on and off the field, I was told that he might accidentally step away just because what's going on, and I just, I, I couldn't let that happen. This special moment, an extraordinary act of kindness. I just felt like unbelievable, like I felt like my hard work's paid off. I was happy, I was so happy. So if you're getting a full ride, this scholarship might be worth as much as $30,000 a year at Eastern Michigan. Tuition fees are just over $15,000 uh, for undergraduate non-resident uh, studiers and students. A housing and food, $12,000. So, you know, this was really a selfless act and and really just warmed my heart, Brett. And if you're wondering, well, what's Dooley going to do? Uh, he's uh, He has two classes remaining to earn his master's degree, whereas Conti still has one to two years left of school. So I guess you wanted to pass off what was remaining of his scholarship to kind of give him a boost. But pretty neat story. So we want you to tell us a story about a selfless act, a shocking level of kindness, or maybe perhaps a time that you stepped up to help somebody out in a time of need. And up for grabs, we've got either... Tickets for the Burt Block Party on Sunday, August 20th to see Cheap Trick and Trooper. Or Michael Flatley's Lord of the Dance, 25 years of the Lord of the Dance. And that's happening November 1st at the Burt. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. Tyson Ruwicki and Master Control. Why don't we start with you, sir? Well, I was coming home from a Jets game one day and I had a giant bag of popcorn. There was a guy asking for some food, so I just went to go give him the bag of popcorn and when I... Went to hand it outside the window. I picked up the wrong end and just dumped it all out in front of him. And I felt so bad, like just knowing that, oh, I just dumped all this food out in front of this guy who needs food. So I just went to McDonald's, went to the gas station, picked up a couple meals for him and some water bottles and, you know, just kind of tried, tried to make up for the food that I wasted in front of him. So that was kind of mm-hmm. my story. I like it. That's really good for you for for going out of your way. Very kind, yeah. very something kind. Like that. Tyson. Good job, Tyson. And yeah, and I and yeah, I I would have felt pretty <laughs> yeah. stupid too dumping that popcorn out because <laughs> yeah. then it feels like you're you're like la- almost laughing at him. Yeah, Dis- yeah, yeah. Exactly. I didn't yeah. want to make it like a mockery sort of thing. Okay, Cam, what about you? 
Wow, this was the nicest thing I'd ever seen. Uh, it was a couple, well, I guess it was earlier this year. Um, uh, we had to stop in Toronto. At, we were in Florida and we were on our way back. And um, actually, no, when was it? This was, well, this was, this was two years ago. And it was in the height of the insanity that was going on at the Toronto airport. It was just wild. And everybody that was going in there was getting put on standby because the flights were all so far backed up and nothing was on time. And um, I guess at some point uh, there was a, a couple, there was a, a husband and a wife um, and, and a couple of kids and they were trying to uh, come back to Winnipeg and uh, I was sitting there waiting for the flight and I'm like, <laughs> one, the, the mom got put on standby, but the, the dad got put on, um, was just had it had an assigned seat and so did the kids. And so they were trying to work something out with the front desk. And then this guy uh, is just a, a nice uh, gentleman walked up and he said, um, take this, uh, let them, let her take my seat. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for the next flight. And they were like, are you sure? Are you sure? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And that was, that was the nice thing I've ever seen because when I'm in an airport, I cannot get more anxious. I will try to get out of there at any, ex- by, by any stretch of the imagination. If I have to sit there 20 minutes longer, it's like torture. And to like see that guy do that, I was like, because listen, they they send out those those um, those uh, those things saying like offering six hundred dollars if you're looking. You you couldn't pay me enough to sit in an airport for another twelve hours. It, it wouldn't do. And this guy just did it just for this this nice family. And I was like, oh, that's nice. But of course, there was no way in heck I was ever going to do that. Um, <laughs> so good for him. But I was like, I got my ticket, but I'm not. I, there's no way that guy. Nice guy, but geez, Louise, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I can't sit there longer. That's Freaking exactly what I was thinking. I, I, I don't think I could do it. No. I don't think I could make that volunteering choice because no. I, too, want to get the heck out of Dodge and get to where I'm going. Sarah, what about you? Yeah, this was a couple years ago in Dryden. Uh, our local senior center had their TV stolen. To this day, I don't think they ever found out where it went, who took it or whatnot. But... um. Local business stepped up and just donated one, and um, I was covering it for news, so I went, and it was just so emotional. And, like, you think it's just a TV, right? Like, it's replaceable and whatnot, but it's the seniors. Like, they all hang out there. They all get together there. They watch their show. People watch shows there. It's just a sense of community, right? So it was like a part of that was kind of taken away when it was taken. So just seeing them get that back and donated was really nice. Yeah, a lot of those people have TVs in their rooms. Yeah. But they all gather together. They gather yeah. together to watch sports yeah. or different programs or movies yeah. and stuff. Yeah, that's it's an important piece of infrastructure mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> what about you, Mackling? Oh boy, other than uh Cam's uh perspective creating story there about whether or not <laughs> I would uh, step up like that. I guess this is more of a perspective uh, building uh, exercise. It was about 18, 19 years ago. I was probably in the worst stretch uh, dealing with uh, with depression. I was seeing my counselor uh, every Tuesday. And my uh, treat to myself on Tuesday was to go to the subway at River and Osborne. Didn't have much money, so it was a treat for me. And all the quarter of my eye, I saw this individual. I could t- tell he was trying to get my attention. He was panhandling in the subway. And me and Greg, I had the, you know, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. And my devil was like, can I not just sit down and have a sandwich anymore without somebody bothering me? And then angel Greg said, 
that's not the way you are. Don't be like that. So I went and asked the guy what kind of sandwich he liked. You know, do you like tomatoes? I don't like tomatoes, but I'll put tomatoes on. Got a 12-inch, gave him half, and then I could see him trying to get my attention again. Had that same devil angel conversation. So I reluctantly invited him to come and sit down with me. And we had, we shared a meal and we shared a conversation and I went from sort of really not appreciating this guy very much at all to forming a little bit of a friendship with him. And, uh, yeah, those, those are the experiences in our lifetime where I kick myself for feeling the way I did initially. And then the gift of just sort of embracing somebody versus, uh, shooing them away. I was the one that won out. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. Coming up at 835 with the provincial election not too far away, we will be joined by the leader of the NDP, Wab Canoe, joins us in studio at 835. But right now, by now you, you've heard of and maybe even stepped on the shell of a zebra mussel. According to the province of Manitoba, zebra mussels were first detected in the Red River in June of 2015. Of course, the Red River floor flows north into Lake Winnipeg. This is the headline from Global News. Just May 10th of this year, Lake Winnipeg's future worries Manitoba's fishing industry after zebra mussel invasion. This is Global News reporter Rosanna Hempel. The first boat that came out of the water... Nobody knew what it was. Chris Christensen remembers the first time he saw zebra mussels in Lake Winnipeg. His family's fishing boats, nets and ropes used to emerge from the water unclogged, unscathed. But now, a decade later, the invasive species is everywhere. We're kind of in the infancy of dealing with this in Lake Winnipeg, so we're not quite sure how this is going to play out. Joining us this morning is the rock and roll fisherman, Todd Longley of City Cats Guiding Services. Joining us now. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. So let's start with the the impact. What impact have zebra mussels had on the Red River? Uh, I've got to be honest with you. The river's a whole lot cleaner now than it was before. Uh, Zebra mussels will absorb, um, you know, nutrients from the water. And when they do that, they're actually making the water a lot cleaner. And now I can see like six feet down where I never would have ever been able to do that in the Red River before. Uh, So when I'm walleye fishing, I can reel in a sauger and watch a big walleye chase it to the surface. And I would have never seen that before. It's actually pretty cool, but... I'm not saying that invasive species like zebra mussels are great or anything, but the impact, I haven't noticed it at all, actually. That's fascinating because I've heard that from others, Todd, the idea that that in places the, the water's never been more clear. So is there going to be a tipping point as far as you know where that if we can call it a benefit, let's put it in quotation marks, where that benefit is going to be outweighed by the the negative impact of the zebra mussels. Because eventually, what do the zebra mussels do other than getting on your equipment, getting on your boat? We've seen what Manitoba Hydro has had to deal with in terms of cleaning uh, their facilities up north. What impacts negatively have you seen? I haven't really seen any, to be honest with you, other than... uh 
going to the beach, uh, zebra mussel shells everywhere. Um, that, that for sure. But, and I'm noticing, uh, we have a pretty good algae bloom right now happening on the red river. And I believe that's probably from the zebra mussels because the water is a lot clearer and, uh, the sun's penetrating it. And we got, uh, we got a lot of algae, uh, on the river right now. But could the fact that the, that they they the, the species comes in cleans the water makes it clearer uh, it wasn't like that before so it, couldn't this be sort of upsetting the apple cart as it were of whatever ecosystem these these zebra mussels end up in I haven't seen it yet uh, the fishing's been amazing and here's something else that's weird we've got walleye saugers northern pike all in the river right now that shouldn't be in the river till the fall time when the water gets cold, but they're in there now. We're, we're and we're catching lots of them. Uh, it's so weird. Our perch. I never ever would catch a perch on the river before. I'm catching perch now on the river, and the river and the perch were always a muddy looking color. Now they're getting the, those beautiful perch colors like you would see in in other lakes uh, where. You get the the bright blacks and and the yellows and the orange and all that stuff. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I I, I got to be honest with you. I haven't seen anything negative. This is one of those interviews where you you anticipate asking the question. You figure you know what the answer is, and you get the answer that's completely contrary. Are you getting? You know, you clearly are are discussing the situation with your fellow fishers around the province, are you getting any pushback on, on the idea that, that this feels like a good thing, at least at the moment, Todd? They're all saying it's, it's a good thing. They're all saying, well, look what it did to the great lakes and stuff. Fishing's never been better out there. And well, I guess we really don't know what's going to happen in the future, but right now um, I got to, I got to tell you, I kind of like the idea when I'm reeling in a, uh, you know, a little sauger and I see this massive walleye chasing it to the surface and I can see it six feet down. And I think that's wild. We had a northern pike with a girth on it like an anaconda almost jumping my boat chasing a fish to the surface last fall. I mean, I, I would have never seen this stuff before and I'm seeing it now. When we're walleye fishing, uh, we can st- we catch the fish sooner now uh, in the morning because we don't have to wait for the sun to rise because the fish are seeing the jigs and stuff in very low light conditions. It's it's crazy. Um, yeah, no negativity here. <laughs> well, I dig that. I dig that a lot, Todd, and I appreciate the uh, the access. Uh, the- you know, we have maybe just a minute here, but, you know, we have this world-class fishery in our own backyard. It's such a gift. We're pretty good at celebrating it. Are we doing enough to protect it, even though, at you know, zebra mussels are one aspect of that? Are, are we doing enough to protect our, our fishery? I think we are. Um, we're doing the, the absolute best we can. What we need to do is protect the other lakes, and we do have uh, all those stations around where you can go and sanitize your boat and make sure you know you 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 clean clean your boat and you dry your boat and make sure that it's all good before you go to another lake it's very important that everybody does that maybe like winnipeg isn't so bad but 
zebra mussels or say rusty crayfish or a spiny water flea could devastate another lake. So we really have to do our part and make sure that we, uh, we sanitize our boats and stuff like that. Todd Longley of City Cats Guiding Services joining us live on 680 CJOB, the rock and roll fisherman. Thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. On the subject of zebra mussels, Greg, I understand a, a scientist of the earth has weighed in. <laughs> That's right. Geologist says, hey, guys, educated on zebra mussels. What your fishing guy is witnessing wouldn't be considered to be unexpected. Zebra mussels, like many other aquatic shells, are filter feeders. They will clean the water as observed. The issue will start if they start depriving the rest of the environment of nutrients and oxygen. However, Lake Winnipeg is very large and has high inflow and outflow, so it's possible that we may not see that for a very long time. And that's what I was sort of asking about with the the disruption, potential disruption for the ecosystem. And I'm going to have to go back and rewatch. There was an episode in the recent series of Our Planet, Our Planet 2 on Netflix, and I it was something along these lines where there was... Um, I don't know if it was zebra mussels or if it was something else, but the, what happened was, I believe, the, wa- they, the water had become so clean that it was allowing more sunlight to get into the water. So it was the water was warmer, uh, deeper, and it was upsetting. It was throwing things off for migration lanes. Something along those lines. I can't remember exactly what it is. I'm really curious now because it's driving me sort of nuts that I can't remember. But I, like I, 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 I would have thought, well, hey, clean water. That's great. No, apparently maybe not so much. And Todd uh, mentioned the fact that there's an algae. I know some people say it algae, right? Yeah. I say algae. Yeah. <laughs> I will say algae henceforth uh, until I'm really corrected. But uh Todd mentioned that there's an algae bloom, a large one on the river up where he he fishes commonly. And he says that's uncommon as well. So I think there are lots of layers to this story. But uh, to get Todd's perspective on this was eye-opening for sure. And we're going to chase down that story throughout the day. All right. So more on that through Global Winnipeg. Uh, in the meantime, one of the things that you may have heard in one of uh, Sarah's newscasts this morning has to do with shoplifting and security. Because less than... Half of Canadians believe retail stores are implementing the right amount of security measures to prevent shoplifting, but the majority say they would feel safe working in one. This is according to a new poll from Leger on retail security, which indicated that a wide majority of people support retailers implementing measures to prevent theft, like installing security cameras or electronic anti-theft alarms attached to items, hiring security guards, or locking certain products in display cases. Oh, and that's becoming super common with uh, smaller items that are extremely expensive, razor blades in particular. That's been a common common practice for some time. Uh, respondents were split on whether they would support measures such as store employees checking receipts, when customers exit or eliminating self-checkout machines. Support dipped to 17% for requiring customers to scan their IDs to make a purchase. The survey was completed online by more than 1,500 Canadians. So I find it interesting. 
it seems to be common practice where we're really concerned about something. The number of people or the percentage of people are highly concerned, fill in the topic. And then when you start talking about implementing solutions, the ones that start impacting me, I'm putting me, the royal, me or we, uh, the, the less popular that becomes. My concern is high, but when you're trying to do things to fix it that impact me, I'm less concerned somehow. And when it comes to retailers implementing security measures to uh, prevent shoplifting, we got 45% of respondents who say companies are putting in place the right level, and 27% said not enough measures, and 10% said stores are, are doing too much. Interesting. To prevent shoplifting. Hmm. Be interested to know what those too muches are for some folks. Yeah. Asked about the level of shoplifting where they live relative to the rest of Canada. Just 14% of respondents said their province sees more than other parts of the country. Once again, a perspective thing. The sentiment was felt most strongly in BC, where one quarter of respondents said they felt their province sees more store theft than others. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I'd be curious to know what the, if there's a metric on that, if that's just based on a feeling or what, because we hear reports uh, from those who work in retail quite often about theft being a daily occurrence. And I know that that it's been, it's not like this is anything new. You know, convenience stores, people have been taking stuff from convenience stores as long as I can remember going to them. I remember chasing a guy down the street because some guy was drunk and he like stuffed a submarine sandwich under his under his arm. And he was like 40 years old. He was out for with his buddies and uh, they were, I guess they were getting a late night snack and he, th- he had it under his arm and thought no one saw him. And so I chased him halfway down the street before I thought, well, he really wants that sub and I don't feel like breaking my, you know, spraining my knee trying to chase after him. But when you start to hear people talking from, from shoe stores where this wasn't something I was aware was a, a problem. People just come in and take stuff and leave. We saw that the huge issue that the liquor workers dealt with and that the liquor marts dealt with, with uh, the theft and they had to take some pretty serious steps to stop it. But for, I was, I'm surprised at how well that's gone in terms of how smooth it was. I thought when they put those security doors in that it would be uh, re- a major inconvenience it's not if you unless it's Friday at 7 p.m. and it's minus 30 out. I think that's the only adjustment I would suggest they make is find a way to accommodate people on those uh, days, those nights when it is cold and the law uh, lineups are extra long. That's that's frustrating to wait in those lineups tempered for me personally by the fact that we don't have to deal with that, that the the. Incidents of theft and liquor stores down, what is it, 94, 96%. It's essentially non-existent when you compare it to what we were dealing with two, three, four, five years ago. So that's worth it to me, but I would like it if they would uh, step up the accommodation when things are uh, cold outside, which it can be four or five months of the year around here. Yeah, because they sometimes what it, when if there's a huge lineup, I've what they'll they'll send a, a second person sort of that. to the front where they they'll check the IDs, but I don't. I know I've seen it happen in the summer. I don't know if I've ever seen it happen in the winter because in the winter, you if you kept that door open the whole time, then it would just freeze out that inner booth. So that probably yeah, I don't know what the solution to that would be. 
But uh, yeah, you're, I, I mean, I just all I did was I, I changed my purchasing habits. I just made sure that if to look down the road and think, okay, well, I'm probably going to need some supplies for the weekend. Don't, don't go don't at wait seven until or seven six. o'clock on a Friday night <laughs> right. or a Saturday night. Go in right. the afternoon. Right, right. Yeah, no, customer service is paramount in any retail circumstance. So the less painful it is for for people when you're implementing these systems, I think the better. And that that would be the one, the only way. Well, the one way that they could make it better for folks would be maybe to put up some glass partitions or some exterior heaters or a combination of both. I don't, I don't know. I haven't studied it, but that would be sort of the first thing that comes to mind for for me, Brett. Feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868, whether you're a customer or perhaps the proprietor of a business that deals with theft. And if you are a business owner, would you even be able to afford adding additional measures for to try to curb shoplifting? Because putting a big security door on a business, I would imagine, is not uh, an insignificant, inexpensive undertaking. So might not be realistic for all, but... You let us know at 204-780-6868. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. A reminder that we are asking you to tell us a story about an unexpected, shocking amount of kindness or perhaps a kindness that you were able to extend to somebody. And maybe just like, Maybe you weren't really thinking of this is a big deal, but you could tell that it it made a huge, had a huge impact on someone's day or someone's life. And we've got tickets to give away either for the Bird Block Party or for Michael Flatley's Lord of the Dance. The winner shall select their prize and we will announce that winner at 9.15. But uh, this was inspired, Mr. Greg, uh, just recap for those who may have missed the discussion earlier. Yeah, one of the players on the Eastern Michigan football team, one of the captains stood up and said, um, I don't need my, I don't necessarily need my scholarship. There's an individual on this team who's been selling plasma in order to feed himself, paying his own way through school for four years. And this uh, individual stood up and said, I am going to give my scholarship to somebody else. And just a heartwarming story out of the United States. Uh, the, The value of that to that individual could be up to, Thirty or forty thousand dollars a year, and uh, yeah, just a selfless act. Pam says, in 1978, I went to help my friend Paul Pallas from CJOB do a remote from a Red Cross blo- uh, Red Cross blood donor drive. I gave my first donation that day, and have continued to donate blood since. There has been several times over the years where I have been thanked by someone who had or knows someone who needed a transfusion. And it's a really humbling experience to have that happen with my simple act. So maybe one of those things where you think, well, I'm just going to go donate some blood, but sometimes maybe we do things. I think where we know we're helping, but when you really sit down and think about the potential positive ramifications of what you're doing. It's amazing what, a million tiny acts of kindness can do right versus one gigantic act. It takes so many citizens to make that blood donation system work. And we talk about it with the hospital lotteries, you know, 
you might not be you might not be paying for your or donating for your own health care. It might be for your friends, your neighbors, total stranger. But that one time, maybe when you need it, you want it there for yourself. That's probably not why you give blood, but it might be in the back of your head. Yeah. For the most part, I think it's you're doing it for other people. And there's no one magic source. It's all, you know, a pint at a time. That's yeah. the way it goes. And if you don't want to share a story of where you were the one extending the kindness, maybe that you have one of one where you were the recipient. Like you might just be shy or, or perhaps, I mean, Kevin with some interesting feedback here who says, I am reminded of the episode of MASH where Klinger saw Winchester do an act of kindness and that he wanted to remain anonymous. This is how I feel about what I have done more than once, but the only two people who need to know about it are the person I did it for and myself, just how I feel. And that's fair, Kevin. You don't want to come off like you're patting yourself on the back. That's cool. I think one of the, for me, I would, I would bring this up only because it was, it was an eye opening, potentially life changing moment for me, at least in, in terms of the way that I treat people. Not that I was a jerk before, but it just made me more conscious of of how a simple hello, how are you can maybe affect someone's day entirely. Like it was a New Year's Eve. We talked their last half hour about going to the liquor store on a Friday at six. Well, how about going on New Year's Eve at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m.? Well, that's what happened. And you can, as you can imagine, there were like 10 lineups to the back of the store. It was chaos. And when I got there, after waiting 20 minutes in line, you could tell that the clerk was exhausted. And I just said, do I even dare ask, how are you? And he just kind of, and then he got a big smile on his face and he shook my hand and he said, happy new year. Thank you. And it made to me, like all I did was, how are you, man? And it, it changed by the by. From what I can tell, from what I observed, what I perceived, it affected the 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 rest. Of, hopefully, the rest of his day. Sure. So be it, nice to yeah, people. Yeah, and it goes it goes an awfully long way. We've got a really uh, great story. It's too long to read right now, but just about a, a long term impact and the modeling that we do for our kids uh, when they're around. Once again, that's not the intention when you're kind to someone and do something, but that is the, uh, that's the long-term benefit. We'll share that story a little bit later this morning. It's a really good one from, from uh, South central Manitoba out near McGregor. And we'll pick a winner by the way at nine 15 for either the Burt block party tickets for Sunday, August 20th, cheap trick and trooper playing that night or Michael flatley's Lord of the dance coming to the Burton Cummings theater on November 1st. And by the way, there is a presale for that. That starts at nine today and runs until Friday morning at nine. The passcode is C J O B. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. Greg, coming up at 8.35, who will join us in studio? Wab Canoe will join us. One of the conversations we'll be having is the one that we'll be having in just a couple of moments. Crime in our community, has it overtaken all the other issues? Will it be on the front burner? How close to the top of the list is crime in Manitoba for the gentleman who runs the NDP and would like to be Premier of Manitoba? So that's coming up at 8.35, but as Greg mentioned, we want to talk about crime. We just talked last half hour about what people think about businesses and measures they do to try to prevent shoplifting. Uh, Well, what if you own several businesses and 
repeatedly have to deal with not just shoplifting, but vandalism, smashed windows. Well, that's exactly what I saw yesterday on social media. It has happened again to the person who runs places like Dreamland Diner, St. James Burger and Chipco, and the Four Crowns Inn on McPhillips. Ravi Rambaran joins us live on 680 CJOB. Ravi, hello there. Hey, good morning. How are you? We're doing okay. Do I ask, do I dare ask you that same question? Oh, yeah. I'm just used to it now. Just used to it. <laughs> just used to it. So what happened? Another morning. Uh, so actually, we've got some wonderful camera footage. Uh, brand new cameras put up a couple weeks ago. And we've got clear photos of the uh, of the people involved that came and smashed their windows in the middle of the night. So um, just basically, ba- based on the camera footage, you can see that there's just completely no fear of being caught. It's It's unbelievable how these people took their time did what they did and um you know caused about 15 to twenty thousand dollars worth of damage and sorry within so, where exactly did this happen this is this happened at four crowns at uh, on mcfield street um they smashed about eight windows and one door on the uh on the uh, beer store there and um and just very nonchalantly is uh, and 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 uh, didn't really care to cover their identity very much either. So it's just it just shows how how brazen and uh, no fear for the law exists with these guys, you know. So um, lucky for us in this instance, uh, we had gone through the camera footage and these people had showed up in a company car earlier in the day. So come on. Yeah. So we contacted the company um, and hopefully they're willing to work with us. If not, then I guess the whole video is going online because we want to catch these people and we want them to pay for what they did. A lot of people will say, oh, I'm sure you've got insurance, Ravi. What's the big deal? Yeah, unfortunately, insurance uh, deductibles on on commercial properties can range anywhere from ten to twenty five thousand dollars. Ours, unfortunately, is twenty five thousand dollars. So, so obviously that's, that's off the, you know, I, I knew the answer to that. I'd read your post, but, uh, so that's, that's one part of this is some people sometimes just shrug their shoulders and they go, oh, well, they've got insurance. They'll deal with it. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah. the brazen nature of these things. You, that's the word you used. And I've seen it myself. Uh, yeah. One of my friends has cameras all over his house and actually had an interaction because he's also got speakers and microphones in his yard and and found somebody in his vehicle one night and had an argument over the camera with this guy, basically get out of my car. And this guy said, why, what are you going to do about it? And I think that's the common feeling right now is that there's nothing anybody can do. Unfortunately, this behavior is getting more and more exercise. And what I mean by that is they keep not getting caught. And when they do, they get let back out. We've been held up by the same guy with a gun immediately after he got back out. You know, like, it's just, it's, this, this has got to change. Like, to do business in this city is becoming very tiresome and extremely expensive. We have to spend so much money on security, security protocols before we can even open our doors and start making money. You know, it's, uh, it's the wild west right now, period. How many times have you dealt with this uh, this kind of vandalism in the, the past 
couple of years, I guess, Ravi? Probably about 12 times, 15 times. You ever feel like no, just throwing your arms up? We often, no, we don't report all of it because half the time we catch them, right? Sometimes we don't catch them, and that's when, you know, we get pretty loud about it. And uh, more often than not, they do get caught, you know, uh, but they're sometimes they're minor, sometimes it's slap on the wrist. Um, sometimes it's someone who's intoxicated and they literally get picked up and dropped off back down the street because they, you know, the police are so frustrated doing the same thing over and over and over and over. Like they're, I feel for them because this is what they do for a living. And I can't imagine how it must feel to go to work every day and and catch the same guys or deal with the same person every day. So I, I, I'm very thankful for them. You know what? Yesterday they showed up less than less than five minutes after it happened. Um, they were awesome. They were great. And, uh, Ravi, I'm going to interrupt you only because we're out running out of time here, but I want to give you the opportunity because we're going to have Wab Canoe in the studio in about 32 minutes time here. Right. If, if you could ask or, or make one plea or may have one comment uh, for Wab Canoe on this front, what would it be? Um, I don't care who you are or where you come from or what your background is. If you hurt somebody, damage their property, ruin someone else's day or take their money, you need to go down and you need to pay that price, period. We are so tired of the excuses of why people are getting out, especially when they're multiple offenders. This has got to stop. We need another prison for our province, period where we can keep people. We don't need a six-month plan. We don't need a year plan. We need a today plan. And the excuses and the BS has just got to stop. We're so tired of spending our family's money on just protecting us and our staff for going to work, period. Ravi Rambaran, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us. Sorry you're going through this, uh, but we appreciate everything you do for the community. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much for hearing me out, guys. Appreciate you always. Ravi Rambaran joining us live on 680 CJOB, the proprietor at the Four Crowns Inn on McPhillips, as well as St. James Burger and Chip Co. and on uh, Ness and Dreamland Diner on Portage. And again, yeah, Ravi does a lot for the community. So to see this, it's just so, so frustrating. As we head towards the provincial election on October 3rd, the blackout period for government funding and policy announcements is now in full effect. But that doesn't mean we won't be hearing political messaging or hearing from politicians. Far from it. To prove that point, Greg, we welcome to the start leader of the NDP in Manitoba, Wab Canoe. Wab, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, you bet. So uh, over the past several weeks, we were getting bombarded with media releases uh, about spending commitments and policy promises or adjustments from from the province. And one of the final announcements last week, Wob, was the the by far the largest, and that was the massive overhaul to the general hospital and other facilities at HSC. Is that project a go? No matter who wins the election in October. Yeah, and uh, I think we got a we got a tweak uh, what the PCs announced there because uh, they're missing nursing seats. We need more nurses in our healthcare system. That was a big glaring omission. But uh, I think listeners know that the party that destroyed healthcare in Manitoba is not going to be the one to fix it. 
So we need a new approach, and that's what uh, our team's bringing forward. Let's invest in the people in scrubs on the front lines, and let's hold the people in suits, the bureaucrats at the high levels of the healthcare system, accountable. If they can't deliver on cutting wait times for you and your family, then we should uh, show them the door and find people who can. We've been talking about hallway medicine for 25 years in this yeah. province. Nobody seems to be able to, to fix it. Why do you think you can fix it? We've uh, been really lucky to get some extraordinary help from physicians, nurses who really understand our local system. Where I think some of the suggestions have gone off the rails uh, in recent years is we've been listening to out-of-province experts. I think it's time that we empower the local experts here in Manitoba to tell us what they're seeing at the HSC, at St. B, at the VIC, at hospitals across the province to make those local uh, improvements. Um, basically, though, at a high level, we need to invest in the hospitals that have been cut under Brian Pallister and Heather Stephenson and just make it easier for those people in scrubs on the front lines to do their jobs, which is to care for you and deliver health care close to home. i to switch gears to crime because it's, of course, become one of the top concerns for so many Manitobans. And we just want to sure. we had our guest earlier this hour, Ravi Rambrand. He is the owner of several businesses in our city. We just want to give an opportunity to say something on this issue, which is repeatedly hammering his business. So here's what he had to say. Um, I don't care who you are or where you come from or what your background is. If you hurt somebody, damage their property, ruin someone else's day or take their money, you need to go down and you need to pay that price, period. We are so tired of the excuses of, why people are getting out, especially when they're multiple offenders. This has got to stop. We need another prison for our province, period, where we can keep people. We don't need a six-month plan. We don't need a year plan. We need a today plan. The excuses and the BS has just got to stop. We're so tired of spending our family's money on just protecting us and our staff for going to work, period. So he's frustrated. The beer vendor at his Four Crowns Inn, damaged again, vandalized again, fifteen to $20,000 damage. Uh, so what would your government do to tackle crime in a meaningful way? Well, I think one of the things we've got to recognize, and you're talking about a business on McPhillips, we've got to recognize that crime is spilling out of the downtown and core area, and it's going closer and closer to the suburbs and also into rural Manitoba. So we need a comprehensive crime strategy. And let's be clear, things have gotten worse under Heather Stephenson. Not only her time as premier, but also going back to her time as the attorney general under Brian Pallister when they cut a lot of the programs that they're now trying to reannounce in the lead up to the election. So comprehensive approach to tackling crime means, yes, we got to support law enforcement. we got to make the investments there so that they can keep you safe because it is going to be the police service that responds when something's going down. But at the same time, we need to be making the investments in addictions and tackling homelessness so we can finally start to address the root causes of what we're seeing not just in the core area, but in all parts of Winnipeg and the province these days. And that's part of the issue in my mind is the fact that now it's spilling out of the downtown. Uh, for so long, a crime was something that, that happened in, in quote-unquote certain neighborhoods. People sure. were somewhat yeah. comfortable when they were listening to the news on CJOB. And if the address was in the right location, well, that doesn't impact me. It's impacting everyone now. You're talking about these uh, programs that were cut once upon a time by the PCs, and now they're bringing them back. Uh, do you have, a, for instance, at least one or two of those? Yeah, sure. The Integrated Gang Task Force, uh, the bail monitoring uh, provision, and then uh, they've closed uh, several um, facilities that incarcerate people across rural Manitoba, too. 
And just one well, before you switch gears, uh, yeah. Ravi, one of Ravi's thoughts, one of his frustrations is the repeat offenders. He says, you know, we've, we've had people hold us up, get picked up, and then they get right back out and come hold us up again. So he well, he's tired of seeing the revolving door. Uh, so what's your thought on that? Yeah, so I think uh, you need to have uh, basically two streams. When you have someone who's that repeat problem, there's violence involved, some very serious issues like that, hold them accountable. Absolutely. Bring, bring down uh, the hammer. On the other hand, if we're talking about people with addictions, then we should be looking at dealing with the addictions, dealing with uh, the issues uh, around finding treatment for them and pursuing harm reduction. And let's be real here. The PC government has been an absolute failure when it comes to tackling the drug problem. What they've chosen to do is to be hard on people with addictions, but they've been soft on traffickers. When have you heard them do anything about drug trafficking in our province over the past seven years? They've been hard on the people who are living in bus shacks, the people who are living in bridges, but they've been giving a, a carte blanche to the people who are actually bringing drugs into our communities. And what we're saying is we should have a strong uh, approach on addictions for sure that helps people towards recovery and uses harm reduction as a guiding principle. But if we want to talk about addressing crime in our, in our communities, we need to also start talking about tackling drug trafficking. And so I think that's something that's been missing from the comprehensive uh, strategy conversation that uh, I'm trying to have in our province. We definitely want to proceed uh, with tackling that. Yeah, I think we could uh, finish our entire conversation sure. on crime alone, but we, we need to move on because we have a limited amount of time. Manitobans will, of course, be voting for their individual MLAs in this upcoming election. There will no doubt be uh, their feelings for the leadership qualities of the leader of the respective parties and the role they play in that. Heather Stevenson as you've been doing in our discussion right now, will be judged mostly by how people feel about the job she's done as premier, health minister, attorney general. You know that some, if not many Manitobans will point to your past, your interactions with the law before your time as a politician and decide that they don't want you as premier based on those actions. What do you say to those concerns? Well, we're talking about crime here this morning and I can tell you that straight up, I'm somebody who's made good on a second chance. So if you want somebody who understands what it takes to put people on a positive path, I think I have something to contribute to that conversation. On the flip side, Heather Stephenson has been to court multiple times during her time as premier. Not 20 years ago. We're talking about within the past year. Judges ruled that she broke conflict of interest law, the whole Shelley Glover fiasco. So I just hope the PCs include uh, that balance in their attacks because we know that they can't run on health care. We know that the healthcare system is in such disarray that they're going to try and make it personal. They're going to try and make it uh, about attacks. Don't get me wrong. On our side of the aisle, we're going to go hard, but we're going to go hard on the issues. We're going to go hard on saying we think that this decision to close these emergency rooms in Winnipeg was a bad move. This decision to cut nursing positions was a bad move. This decision to ignore some things you could do to make life more affordable was a mistake. And so for us, yes, we're going to run a strong, aggressive election campaign, but we'll keep it focused on the issues that matter to Manitobans. There has been a radio commercial playing on our station for several weeks, which says that if elected, the NDP will raise the PST to 10%. Will you raise it at all to 8 9%? Absolutely not. Before entering politics in 2013, I criticized the PST hike. So this is something that's a personal belief of mine. I don't like the PST going up because it hits lower income people 
the hardest, but it also hits middle income people hard. Like you think about it, if there's a, a rich person out there who's pi- paying a hundred grand to buy some fancy boat, the extra thousand dollars of PST doesn't mean a whole lot to them. But if you're somebody who's living check to check and the PST goes up on the clothes you need to buy or on some other stuff, an alarm clock so you can go get to work in the morning, the PST goes up on you. That hits you very, very hard. So I have a fundamental personal belief that existed before politics that increasing the PST is not uh, appropriate here in Manitoba. And so that'll maintain if we get in. And I appreciate you raising this because there's a couple other fiscal things that I would like to share with your listeners because running for premier, so many people often ask, well, how are you going to pay for it? What's the plan here? So first of all, another fundamental political belief of mine is that the budget needs to be balanced. The reason why the budget needs to be balanced is I care about working people. The person going to work in scrubs, the person in the high-vis vest. And if the budget is not balanced, you're going to have to keep going back to those people and asking for more and more and more. And I don't think that that's right, particularly at a time of high inflation. You look at the PC's budget this year, they have a projection going out four years in the future. There's no plan to balance the budget. So for us, job one on the fiscal side is going to be uh, to return to balance within the first term. Now, as part of that, I also think we need to make clear that there's going to be no tax hikes. So the stuff that's in the budget about uh, the 50% education property tax rebate, we'll maintain that. And I think we can probably improve on the program, saving you money each and every month instead of just getting the check once a year. On the other tax measures, we will ensure that there's a broad middle class tax cut. How do we do that? Well, we index the tax brackets. And so we'll make sure that you get tax relief on the income tax side as well. So big picture, I want Manitobans to know that we're going to be very responsible when it comes to the province's finances and personally, as it affects you and the revenue that you're generating in our economy, we want to strengthen that as part of an overall plan to stimulate Manitoba's economy and ensure that there's good jobs for hardworking people across the province. We'll often hear that promise and then, you know, oh, well, we got into the books and it was worse than we thought. The numbers that we were getting in opposition, we don't get as government. And so now we're going to have to backtrack on some of that. A pledge of some sort, Wob, on that front with regard to taxes and balancing the budget. Take this uh, audio recording, put it in a vault and throw it in my face if I ever come anywhere close to, uh, to, to, to backtracking on this. No, like... I believe that the economic horse pulls the social cart. So as an NDP leader, for sure, I got strong ideas about what we should do in the community to help young people with recreation and what we need to do with healthcare. But at the end of the day, we can only do those things if the economy is strong and the economy is moving forward. And so job one is to make sure that the province is helping to set the right economic conditions by balancing the books and ensuring that you can keep your head above water each and every month when we're talking about uh, the contributions we're asking you to make. And of course, you're making so many contributions. I think it's time you have a premier and a political leader that matches that commitment. You're tightening your belt. We should be able to see at the provincial level a similar commitment to trying to make life better. Wob Canoe is the leader of the NDP in Manitoba. Wob, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. This Saturday, there is a terrific event happening at Le Patio in St. Boniface that celebrates a community we touched on yesterday, Greg, and that is, and actually was in this time slot, 
Local beer. Yeah, it's the Winnipeg Beer Festival. It's happening at 340 Provencher, starting at 5 p.m. Sean Branson, co-organizer of Winnipeg Beer Festival, caterer of Fort Gibraltar and St. Norbert Art Centre, joins us now. Sean, good morning. Good morning. Le Patio, for the uninitiated, I know where it is. I think it's an incredible facility. Just uh, other than the than the address, give us a little bit of a description of, of that spot, that night hot spot uh, here in in Saint Boniface. Well, it's a it's one of the largest patios in Saint Boniface, right on Provence at the uh, French Cultural Center. And uh, it's at 340 Provence and uh, right by Provence and Desmurant. Beautiful uh, space, uh, large trees, lots of seating, lots of bands. There'll be a band playing uh, during our, our, our event, Hip Shape, where we put starting at eight. So, yeah, there's a, it's a great venue. Now, will you have to, is it big enough to house the event? Because I've been to the Winnipeg Beer Festival in, in the past and fairly sizable uh, you know, event with multiple vendors. Yeah, typically we do it at Fort Gibraltar, which has a bit more capacity. So we're a little bit lower capacity, uh, but there's uh, 26 uh, beer vendors there or beer brewers. Um, so, you know, the same number of uh, opportunities, just in a, a less, uh, you know, less people uh, per, per brewer. So why is this important, Sean? I mean, it's a heck of a lot of fun, but in terms of the industry and highlighting how far we've come with regard to, to craft brewing in Manitoba? Well, I had this idea about 10 years ago, but it came to fruition seven years ago when uh, a lot of the craft brewers started uh, uh, producing product. We've always supported local. It's very important uh, to, to our philosophy and all the restaurants we had. But I found that how do you taste all these wonderful beers that, uh, that they're making? And, and they're coming up with new ones all the time. Uh, even as a restaurateur, it's very difficult, uh, even at staff meetings, to taste through them all. So having a place where we can showcase uh, the great beers that are being produced, as well as tasting them all in one spot, was, uh, was, was important uh, to me. So we started it seven years ago. We were the first uh, um, festival to only support Manitoba-produced product, and we continue to do so. Yeah, there have been a few uh, other ones pop up since then, but you were certainly the originator. And how many breweries will be participating this year? There'll be uh, 26 uh, breweries, uh, as well as uh, Pedal Pub uh, Winnipeg will be there as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's from all across Manitoba. There's uh, a lot of really great stuff happening out of Brandon and, and uh, some of the smaller towns too. They've just recently opened up. Interlake Brewery just opened up their restaurant and, and they're producing more. So uh, there's uh, yeah a lot of great opportunities. Uh, there'll be a lot of great things to sample. All the, all the key guys are going to be there. Sean, there's only one thing that makes beer better than sunshine, and that's food. What kind of food are we going to yeah. be serving up on the weekend? We have uh, Mama B's Jamaican patties available for, for purchase uh, at, the, at the event. So some nice uh, Jamaican patties and some ice-cold uh, beers. Uh, what, it's a great combination. So I think, um, in the, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there have been, there in past festivals, there have been like time slots. Um, yeah, we, yeah, since COVID, we, we kind of looked at the time slot model, and it actually works out well. A lot of the festivals... Uh, such as a wine festival, they're they're not this uh, seven-hour event that just gets kind of messy. Uh, so it's a, it's a two-hour time slot. So first slot is between five and seven, 
Second one is 7.30 to 9.30. So two hours is a lot. You can sample quite a bit at that time. And we don't really, you know, crowd the space. So uh, you have lots of time to go around and, and sample the different beers. Where do we get tickets? Tickets uh, can be purchased through on our website at wpgbeerfestival.com. Or you can go to Eventbrite. Everything is there. Uh, you can buy the different tickets for the food for the two different time slots. And, yeah, there's still some tickets available. All right, Sean Branson, co-organizer of Winnipeg Beer Festival. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. And Sean, once again, caterer of Fort Gibraltar and St. Norbert Arts Centre as well. And I I was at the first uh, beer fest, and it was a really... Because I've been to other beer festivals, and they're, they're great. But this one just felt... Well, A, being outdoors was cool. Sure. And uh, the fact that it was all local was fantastic, and seeing... We talked about it yesterday, but to see that spirit of camaraderie between what you would, I think, instinctively assume these are like, we're in competition with each other. There's my nemesis. No, there was none of that. Everybody was just kind of celebrating each other and working with each other to make a good night. I saw our friends from Baltic Brothers at the at the Birds Hill or the East St. Paul Farmer's Market Sunday. Yep. And they've got blueberry vodka. Yep. Now... There's no way I would buy blueberry vodka off the shelf from some nameless, faceless enterprise. But because I know their story, happy to support, happy to buy it, happy to try it. And I think that's the big deal for a lot of people right now. They want to know the people that they're sending their money to. Because we're working harder for our money, we're keeping less of it. And so if you can put a face to the name... I think it goes a long way. So I'm in favor of all these type of festivals. And you throw a little beer and food in there, uh, you get A-plus for me. Winnipeg Beer Festival happening at Le Patio at 340 Provence this Saturday. Once again, two time slots, 5 until 7 and 7.30 to 9.30. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. We are asking you to tell us about an act of... A selfless act, a selfless act, an act of kindness, one that shocked you. Maybe you were the recipient or maybe you were able to extend some kindness and were surprised at just how much it impacted someone's life. And this is for a chance to win either tickets for Lord of the Dance or the Bird Block Party to see Cheap Trick, whom you're listening to right now. And Greg, I left this decision to you, so why don't you start us up with our runner-up? Peter says, my act of kindness came from my father. Whenever we went to a dinner-type restaurant, Sal, Smitty's, Pancake House, etc., if there was an elderly person eating by themselves, my dad would always ask our server to bring him their bill and not tell them until they were ready to leave and to make sure he remained anonymous. He always felt that they were alone and there might not be someone close to make their day a good one and a happy one. Since he has passed away, I've taken up this tradition. I'm teaching my grandson who is seven to do the same when he's able to do this. The one addition I have made is that if there is no one in the diner for me to pick up their tab, I will give our service a server, a $25 bonus tip on top of the regular tip that I am leaving. Peter, that's pretty cool. And I hope I end up eating in a restaurant that you're uh, at one day because I like to eat alone <laughs> sometimes. I like to just go sit at the Grove, have a beer, have a sandwich, and just relax. So, I'm, I'm not against eating by myself either. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really that's really nice of you, Peter. Thank you for sharing. But Greg Shannon is our winner. Yes, and I thought this was McGregor, Manitoba. It's in fact McGregor, 
street in Winnipeg. Shannon says she was driving down that street in Winnipeg and saw this elderly woman pulling a cart full of groceries and the sidewalk had not been plowed. I pulled over. I had my daughter in the car. She was about eight at the time. And she said, what are you doing, mom? I said, I'm going to help this elderly lady. She's really struggling. Is that okay with you? And she said, sure. Why not? So we jumped out and we asked her if we would, if she would like a ride to her home. We then proceeded to load her groceries, which I think she was a little bit scared that we were going to steal her groceries. She jumped in the car and then asked me if I had a busy day. I said, no, we're just heading back home from some lunch. She said, would you mind stopping at these other places for me so that I don't have to go out later walking? Well, we ended up spending two to three hours with this woman, chatting with her about her life, her hardships, and how nobody ever helps people in need anymore. It was such a good lesson for my daughter, and she now does this for people in her community. And I feel like it was a bit of a scary situation because it could have gone a different way, but I'm glad we did it. We met this lady and heard about her life story. It was a couple of hours out of our day that just made probably her whole week and perhaps restored her faith in humanity.